heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Locked On Suns, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we have a special episode for you as we're going to be discussing the Eric Blitz of Fiasco so far. I'm your co-host, Evan Sidery, and today we have former co-host of Locked On Suns and Empire of the Suns own Colin Olson. How are you doing, Colin? What's up, man? Good to be back. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, I want to get your thoughts first off on this, how Eric Blitz, so this entire fiasco, how it's your overall reaction to it so far, because... When I saw that tweet with him saying, I don't want to be here, uh, I texted Dave. I was like, this is actually happening. Like, wow. But what was your overall just reaction to how, how it all went down? People aren't going to believe me because it, me uh, it makes me sound smart looking at it in hindsight. But I saw that, and I was like, oh, Earl got fired. Uh, so I saw that, and I kind of went into, like, Earl Watson mode and kind of looked around for Earl Watson stories and saw if anything was happening. Nothing was really happening. And then, sure enough, like an hour and a half later, um, he got fired. So, I don't know if that was the course of events. John Gambadoro on Arizona Sports has kind of, he kind of pieced together on Monday what the chain of events was. And it seems like it wasn't linked necessarily. Uh, but yeah, I just saw that and that was my first reaction. And then my second reaction was like, of course, like there was no way for the season to get worse. You were watching the basketball along with me. It was horrendous, yeah. and we were wondering how it could get worse, and that's how it could get worse. Uh, was Eric Bledsoe wanting to leave? Because my whole case for Eric Bledsoe staying with the Suns, I think we might have even talked about this the last time I was on, was like you keep him because he keeps your team somewhat stable, and he his veteran presence not only being a veteran but being a very good basketball player was going to kind of help get them to the next step of their rebuild and it turns out he did the opposite he sort of submarined it in a way and we are in a very strange space now which i'm sure we're going to talk about yeah i saw today with espn's adrian roars or he reported in his story about ryan mcdunn and earl watson having a strained relationship which is kind of surprised because they've kind of played it off on the out, on the outside, but I guess it wasn't so on the inside. How was your reaction to that as well? Because that kind of threw me off. But I mean, really, it wasn't surprising after reports of Watson taking Bledsoe's side after the whole tanking stuff last year, right? No, I mean, I think it kind of took Jay Triano coming in and just saying these really simple things like players who play well are going to stay in the game. Marquise Chris is back into the starting lineup, and he with his rotations. I tweeted about this and. It'll be on ArizonaSports.com tomorrow. I asked everyone to practice their thoughts on this, is that no one played a secondary position. Everyone played their one position in that game against the Kings, and that was it. So seeing stuff like that, it kind of makes you like look back and realize like the kind of crazy stuff that Watson was doing, the way that he was interacting and talking with his players. But I think the first place that it brought it back all to us was when the team hired him and did not interview anyone else and then I was taken back to my column from December where I got a quote from McDonough that was basically saying like we're going to hold players accountable to the fact that we brought back their coach and it, it kind of sounded like the way McDonough said it I was insinuating when I wrote it is that he 
didn't necessarily have Watson as his first pick or wasn't necessarily like overwhelmingly in favor of hiring him right away. And I think it was just kind of my reaction. I'm not very surprised that they were at ends. I think it's not very surprising to see that. Uh, and just with the way Watson failed, it isn't shocking to hear that the front office was disapproving of some of the things and was butting heads with him on certain ideas and whatnot. So to me, I, I wasn't surprised, but it was still surprising to see him get fired three games in no matter what. I mean, if they would have lost by 60 points each game, it still would have been surprising for him to get fired three games in. Oh, for sure. I definitely agree with you there. Before we jump into the Bledsoe trade talks, I wanted to get your reaction on how Mike James has done so far. Because really through preseason and through the first three games, and his first career start, he made the the really beautiful floater he had over De'Aaron Fox at the end there. What was how, how have you seen Mike James so far? And really, he's kind of earned his starting spot going forward so far. Yeah, I mean, it, it's this kind of the same thing where you watch um, – the Suns' second unit after the All-Star break, you watch Allen Williams, Tyler Eulis, Derek Jones Jr., and you're like, you watch Allen Williams, and you're like, after a certain amount of time, you just have to say, like, that guy's an NBA player. You watch Tyler Eulis, and you're like, that guy's an NBA player. I don't know if he's more end of the bench or close uh, to, like, the top of the rotation off the bench, but he's an NBA player. And Mike James was the same thing. You watch him at Summer League. You watch him overseas, it's like, that guy's an NBA player. It's just he's got to find the right opportunity, and this is the perfect opportunity for him. I thought he played really well. I just think it was a perfect mix of what the Suns needed and what he was going to bring. He said after the game that he was just looking to sort of be unselfish and get the ball moving and just kind of have the ball movement go forward, and that was his main priority. And he only took 10 shots. He hit eight of them. I think the one thing to watch for him is that he takes a lot of difficult shots. That step back three he hit is a very, very difficult shot, and he made it look easy. Um, and he just always makes a lot of things look easy because of how rhythm he is, or how in rhythm he is. But I'm, I'm really watching for how he stays with his efficiency and stuff because that was something, especially with Tyler Eulis, we saw last year in his increased minutes workload is it naturally playing 40 minutes a night, his efficiency went down. Uh, but yeah, he played he played really well, but I think we can't get twisted in the fairy tale here and say that he's going to be like a starting caliber point guard from here on out or anything. Like he could be for the rest of the season, don't get me wrong, but for now we kind of have to look at it that way and I think we're going to get a really good look at it tomorrow with Ricky Rubio who's maybe the best defensive point guard in the league. If not, he's easily one of the best 3 to 5 uh, defensive point guards in the league. So we're going to get a really good look at how good Mike James is uh, tomorrow night and I'm looking forward to it. It's really interesting because with how Mike James has performed so far, it brings up a really interesting point, the roster, if depending on how this Bledsoe trade goes. Derek Jones Jr., he hasn't been in the rotation at all since preseason. Is he going to be the odd man out? Like, if, if James earns a one-year contract, will, do you think Derek Jones Jr. could be the guy that has to be on the – that maybe gets waived? He kind of has to be. Um, the, the thing about Davon Reed is that he's hurt, but – they took him at 32. It's like when you take him at 32, I think we get caught up too much in draft boards. But at the same time, this NBA draft was very clearly stacked towards the pretty much from 15 on. It was just a some of these players are going to land in the second round. Some of these guys are going to land in late first round. But there's going to be a ton of talent. Like Sundarius Thornwell went in the mid 40s. Jawan Evans went like the late 30s. There was a lot of really talented players. Uh, that went late 
So to take someone like Davon Reed over Jordan Bell, who, I mean, we we all knew he was going to be good. I, it, it helps that he is with the Warriors right now, just like it helps Jason Tatum that he's with the Celtics. But I, I think the thing with taking him is that the, with just with the way they took him, like I thought he was a guy for them at 54 when he came in for a second workout. I was like, okay, they're looking at him at 54, and it turns out they just took him at 32. That makes me think they really prioritize him, so I think Derek is the odd man out. They really like him, but at the same time, if you can't find space for him and you need the roster spot just with the way this is boiled down, then you have to give it to him. Of course, Mike James is on the 45 days. The interesting thing is to see if they can get a waiver from the league. From my understanding of the rules, I'm not sure where yours are, but my understanding is like you have to file for a petition at a certain point, mm-hmm. and the Suns are pretty much missing two guys nearly the entire season that's reed and williams and then knight is for sure out the whole season so all it takes is just one guy even getting nicked up which could have technically been jared dudley honestly oh yeah and they could have start started to figure that out but i i think i think if you look at it right now that's that's the problem is that if mike james is playing well he has to start and then you can't just send him back to the g league on a two-way contract if he's your starting point guard obviously Oh, I definitely agree with you there because he, I think so far he's averaged like 15 points or something like that, and he's had the by far one of their best efficiency ratings so far on and off court. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how he performs, like you said, against Ricky Rubio, one of the better on, on-ball on defenders tomorrow night. But let's dive into this Eric Bledsoe talk real quick. I came up with a quick list of some teams that I think are realistic and some are unrealistic, but they could happen, I guess. But I'm going to dive in real quick. I want to get your thoughts on them. I came up with the Milwaukee Bucks. The New York Knicks, the Orlando Magic, Denver Nuggets. Those are their four realistic ones. And the ones that are kind of off the wall that could happen are the Spurs, the Cavs, the Bulls, and the Pacers. What do you think are – what are your top options out of that? Uh, I think Denver is the runaway winner here. Uh, They have, like, the right kind of – not necessarily expiring contracts, but Kenneth Fareed and uh, Darrell Arthur are the kind of contracts that they can throw into a deal like this and they won't really suffer. Uh, throwing them in but Denver to me has like the kind of minimal assets that they would want to put together in a deal like this so it's obvious from the reports that we're seeing as you would expect it's like it's not surprising to see I believe I was you tweeting on the bright side account it's not surprising to see like Frank Nielakina and like Thon Maker and names like that coming up uh, and the Brooklyn pick from Cleveland coming up it's like of course, that's what McDonough's going to do. He's going to look for the best available asset he can get from the teams that are interested, and those are some of the best available assets. But if you look down the line in a couple of days, the offers are dwindling. They are what they are. You look at something like the Denver Nuggets offering you like Tyler Lydon, um, Tyler Lydon, Malik Beasley, Kenneth Fareed, and a future first or something for Bledsoe, or if they want Moutier, Moutier's involved in that deal instead. Um, I think Denver makes a lot of sense. Milwaukee's an interesting one. I just don't know where this team gets value there and I think it's more likely to be some deal centered around like DJ Wilson and a first round pick as opposed to a Malcolm Brogdon deal a Thon Maker deal uh the Clippers are actually the other team I had they're not a team you mentioned but Teodosic just got hurt obviously he's out indefinitely they have the type of players I was talking about uh guys like Sam Decker Juwan Evans uh Sundari Thornwell Montrez Harrell those are kind of guys towards the bottom of their roster where they could actually carve out a nice role for the Suns and have a they definitely I made the case for the Suns drafting Sundarius Thornwell I think Jawan Evans obviously a point guard prospect is something they could use I think it's redundant having him and Tyler Ulis at the same time 
Uh, but with that being said, they need a point guard if they're trading Bledsoe, and I think he could fit. Um, but those are the three teams that I think make the most sense. Um, I guess I'll shoot this back to you by saying, where do you see in terms of the more realistic options in something like a bigger deal? Because obviously I'm going like down the lines that like the Suns are going to get the bare minimum for Bledsoe, which is like a mid-first-round pick kind of player like a like a Malik Beasley, like a DJ Wilson, and then maybe another future draft pick and then the, the filler salary. Are you thinking a little bit bigger? Yeah, I think so. I think Bledsoe still has some value around the league. Maybe it's dwindling after what happened the last couple of days, but I think they could carve out someone like maybe maybe a Thon maker, but that's stretching it. But someone like Thon, or do you think that Jabari, do you think that Milwaukee be interested in giving up Jabari for someone like Bledsoe? Because the talk is that he wants he's going to want a max contract, but with Giannis and them coming up, I don't know if that's going to happen. But maybe he's the type of guy that McDonough could roll the dice on, and I think that could maybe happen. Maybe Jabari in a first-round pick for Bledsoe or something like that. Yeah, I wrote about this on ArizonaSports.com, and some people, rightfully so, I guess, uh, by not like reading it for what it was, kind of got confused. I brought up Jabari Parker. I brought up DeMarcus Cousins, too. And the point in that was that for the Suns to do an Eric Bledsoe trade and get a player back that is going to be like a pretty good basketball player on the way back, it's going to need to be something funky. And even those options are too funky to make sense. Like you would never obviously do like a DeMarcus Cousins center deal because why would he stay here? He's going to be a free agent next year. Jabari Parker, do you think he wants to stay here? If he does want to stay here, where do you play him? You have really nowhere to play him right now. You would need to move Bender or Chris uh, or something of that quality at least to kind of create room for him on the depth chart and I, and I think that's where you run into problems with trading Bledsoe is that you have to find space for the quality player coming back to play something like even Michael Kidd Gilchrist in Charlotte it's like where does Michael Kidd Gilchrist play if he comes back they don't really have anywhere to play him they have Josh Jackson TJ Warren Bender and Chris those four guys need to play they would have to move one of those guys and now you're making yourself make another move after making this move and that's I think what is taking McDonough so long, because I think if there was a clear way of getting this done, it would be done already. It would have been done in the preseason, in my opinion. But now you have to look at kind of complicated options and say, if Cleveland wants him, we want the Brooklyn pick. And then if they say, we don't want to give it the Brooklyn pick, maybe this is where the Suns start to offer more of their assets, like what you were just referring to with Jabari, where they say, okay, well, what about the Miami pick and then a protected, top 10 protected first round pick from us next year like that's that's the type of stuff you start talking yourself into perhaps or start looking into uh in terms of this something nate duncan and daniel Lou mentioned on their podcast was the, a pick swap potentially uh essentially giving the suns more ping pong balls in the lottery that wouldn't be a terrible idea either but there's just no clear fit here uh unless i'm missing something is it was there any trade like even like fake trade that either you came up with or that you saw that made a ton of sense because to me I think Thon is like the ideal guy that you would want but he's such a Milwaukee Bucks player Jason Kidd kind of player that I just can't see them giving him up in this type of deal oh yeah I I, I agree with you there because I think Adrian Wojnarowski about an hour ago he said on ESPN that the Suns were not looking for maybe a franchise guy type of guy but they were looking more of like a high upside like a Thon maker so I'm assuming it's more like a Thon maker Frank Nielakina kind of guy so maybe along those lines, but I think the two deals that stand out to me are Milwaukee with a Malcolm Brogdon deal. I want to know your thoughts on Brogdon, but um, I think a lot of people value Brogdon pretty high, especially in Milwaukee, but 
But with Orlando, I think Alfred Payton, Mario Hazonia, and Terrence Ross can make a sense for a little bit of a package there. Yeah, I, I think those are the two mo- most realistic options, for sure. I definitely agree with you there. Brogdon is kind of just, he is what he is at this point. He's 24 years old. I, I don't want to say he's old because he's he's still only 24 years old. That's the thing. When guys are older, when they're when they're young, we, we tend to blow out the fact that they're older. Brogdon's a, a good player. He's, he's, in fact, like a very good player, and he will become a very good player. So I think getting someone back of his caliber is really the dream scenario in this kind of situation and scenario. I think the question is here, there are a lot of factors that play into this. Number one is, are the Bucks ready to make a run at this now? Because this is the type of deal you make if you're saying, screw it, Giannis and Bled, we're going to go try and get the two seed right now. We're going to try and like take on the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals and potentially make the finals. Like That's the type of deal this is for them to give up Brogdon when he's only 24 mm-hmm. and with that they have to believe in Bledsoe to a certain extent on the defensive end not even offensively they have to get defense out of him especially with the way that they operate I had to pause there to see my Woj notification go off I, I don't know about you but I have notifications on right now and I'm oh, making for sure, sure. <laughs> I don't sleep through anything okay so anyway like I was saying um I think that's the main question and to me, if the Bucks are all in on Bledsoe and believe that he can become close to the defensive player that he was early in his career, then we will eventually see a deal like that get done. Uh, the other one you mentioned was Orlando, and I think that is the more interesting one because that's a couple of um, pieces put into one where you don't look at Mario Hazonia really as the A player in that draft in that. Uh, deal you don't look at terrence ross like that who was the third player you said alfred payton yeah i it, that's the same kind of same kind of thing so i think the brockton deal is really the winner and then i think the orlando deal is just another extension of kind of what i was talking about with like dj wilson in milwaukee or malik beasley or tyler Lydon in denver and even then i think the suns are looking for either like a point guard or a center here like ideally so i think that's the, the huge appeal there of thon maker is that you would have him at the five um uh, I think the question I want to ask with you is, this kind of depends on where you're at with Thon, but is Thon the type of guy where if they're turning it down, would you throw in a pick or two to incentivize that, or is that something you'd only say for someone like Jabari? Um, honestly, maybe Thon's worth the risk because how old, I think he's 19 right now, right, or 20? He's very young right now, yeah. He's yeah. got to be under 21 still. Okay, yeah. I mean, he's shown some really, really good flashes so far on both ends, especially on defense, and he's a He's a perfect glove type fit with Giannis, but I think if you could throw in that Miami 2018 pick for Thon, I think that wouldn't be a bad thing because if you if you do like a pick swap, like you said, I think that helps both sides. And I think Bledsoe would be motivated enough joining an MVP like Giannis. Maybe Milwaukee's like, wow. like I mean, so far Giannis is by far unanimous MVP in the first week of the season. So maybe Milwaukee thinks this is the time to do it right now. And maybe that gets Bledsoe pretty motivated as well. So I think Milwaukee with Thon could get it done, but... I just wonder how Milwaukee want to shake up that roster with how good they're doing so far as well. Thon's a really interesting guy because he's exceeded expectations, and he was a guy in his draft where we were like, what the hell, they're taking him 10, that's so stupid. Like He was supposed to go late first round, but all of a sudden Milwaukee takes him 10. He's He looks great, but he is averaging 10.3 minutes in his career right now per game. He, he played 10 minutes a game last year, and then he's playing 16 minutes a game this year, so they are – 
slowly bringing him along. And I think the Suns taking another front court player in that regard would not be wise. So even with acquiring him and someone who's more natural for center than either Chris or Bender are with Maker, I still think that you would have to move one of those guys along. And I think that that's what I was getting to earlier, which is like the moves, just making a move and making another move. And all of a sudden you're down the rabbit hole. So with me, I don't, I don't think I would consider Maker either. I think Brogdon is the guy that you're really on there, that you were hitting the nail there. And to me, I think it just comes down to the minor deals that I talked about earlier, like how willing are the Suns to get this done? And it just depends on how they want to go about it. Maybe they include Bledsoe as like a primary asset to dump a contract, whether it's Brandon Knight, whether it's like Tyson Chandler. I don't know who it would be necessarily, but that's another way that they could go about this. That that trade is a little bit harder to figure out. But I don't really know what's going to happen at this point. I just know um, I think he's going to be traded before Saturday. Uh, where do you stand on in terms of when he's going to get dealt? Um, I think I think you're on the sun maybe for the weekend. But honestly, with how McDonough was on 98.7 today, I think maybe he might drag it out for a little bit, maybe a couple of weeks just to see what happens. But that's playing a pretty risky game. So I think maybe the next couple of days I think it's probably going to happen. But I wanted to ask you as well about – with Thon because he's he oozes potential but would you rather keep those picks if you wanted to trade for like a Thon or a Jabari or if you're a McDonald's he's probably weighing this pretty heavily right now do you want to keep that that pick for a Thon or a Jabari in a trade or do you value someone like DeAndre Ayton who looks really really good in Arizona right now are you talking about the team's own first round pick uh yeah and also the Miami one if they wanted to move up and get someone like a DeAndre Ayton if they if they want to get that future five would you want yeah where, I don't think they have. I don't think they have to worry about moving up in the draft. I think they're definitely going to be picking top three this year. I would be shocked if they weren't. Um, I, I don't want to get too hypnotized by one game under Jay Triano, but I really think this team is still going to be the worst team in the league, if not one of the second or third worst. The Knicks are certainly putting up a good fight right now with how they look tonight. But I, to your point, I would not let the first round pick, the Suns' first round pick, would be untouchable for me. And the Miami pick to me is something that I've talked about with you and something I've talked about on this podcast a ton is the idea that the Suns have enough young players. They don't really need to – you should still value draft picks the, the same way you always value draft picks, but I still think you have to look at it and say we have enough young guys, so if this pick is going to get X player or Y pick, we should do that. So I think it has to be the right situation. I don't think Thon is. I don't think Jabari is. I do think that something like the Brooklyn pick makes sense. So if you do whatever the deal is, like Zizic and Shumpert or whatever that Cleveland deal is to get Bledsoe, um, sending back the Miami pick and then sending back a top like 10 to 12 protected Suns pick, which essentially looking at them next year, they would probably be in the lottery again, so like lottery protected or whatever, so if the Suns were in the lottery they got to keep it, or if you stretch it out a little bit and make it a little bit more risky, make it only top 8 protected, top 6, whatever but if you get the Brooklyn pick this year, you look at your 2 picks for this year you grab a point guard, you grab a center, you grab Doncic and Aiton, you grab Bamba and Doncic, you grab Bagley and Porter, like you just grab 2 of those guys and then this is your group to go with and I think the Brooklyn pick is the one asset to me in terms of all of the teams around the league that we've talked about and through all of your lists I think I'll shoot this back to you because I'm not actually quite that sure the Brooklyn pick is the only thing that comes to mind but 
We brought Jabari and Thon. Is there really anyone else where you look at it and say they could do Bledsoe and a couple picks and maybe even like Chris and Bender, um, maybe Chris and Bender are one of the people they throw in that Brooklyn idea. Um, is there any other player or asset that stands out to you? Uh, I've seen one name on Twitter. I want to get your thoughts on that was Julius Randle, but that doesn't really make much sense at all with how Chris and Bender are already here because I know Lakers fans are throwing that around and it doesn't make much sense at all. But also, no, but that, yeah, that, that's Lakers fans being Lakers. You can't even like fit Bledsoe in LA. That's just Laker fans being themselves on Twitter. But, I Laker fans. <laughs> but the, the, what's your thoughts on Dejounte Murray with the Spurs? I I like Dejounte Murray. Would you throw in? something else to get someone like DeJounte Murray or do you think he fits alongside someone like Bledsoe? I don't think DeJounte Murray is like I don't think they would trade DeJounte Murray at all I think they are clearly making him and molding him into their next point guard that there's really I know they would want to win and Bledsoe would help them win and DeJounte is an enticing enough asset to go over the edge but I think Frank Nielakina is the guy that we haven't talked about that much yet guy I've talked about a lot on this podcast leading up to the past draft, I love Frank. I think he's a perfect fit next to someone like Eric Bledsoe, and he is the type of point guard where you look at the Knicks and the Knicks' tendency to do stupid things. We'll look at them and say, hey, you guys have like no young talent at all besides this kid, but we'll give you Bledsoe, who will keep you out of the bottom right now, and we'll give you two draft picks on top of that so you can go draft your next Frank or whatever. Here's the heat pick that's going to land in the 15 to 20 range. Here's our first-round pick next year that's top eight protected. So if we play well next year, you get it in like the 11, 12, 13 range, whatever it is. And I think that's the type of guy you look at that's the most ideal for a Bledsoe trade. Um, I went through an exercise with Locked On where we did the, the draft ourselves, and I tried to trade Bledsoe for the Neelikina pick and the Dallas Smith, which wound up being Dennis Smith Jr. And both of them did not want to do it, uh, the people who ran this podcast. But – I think that is the guy that comes up to me where DeJounte less so just because I think they wouldn't move him. But I think Frank is such a raw thing at this point yet while San Antonio has pretty much formed DeJounte into what he is going to become. Uh, But Frank to me is just a guy that makes a lot of sense. And obviously that's heavily leaning on the Knicks just doing something dumb. No, I believe Frank, Neil Kina, Josh Jackson, and Dragon Bender, that's one of, if not the best Western Conference young defensive trio out there in terms of overall potential if they click all together, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and Frank is just, like, perfect with Devin because he can he can play defense. Uh, he can guard the two-guard that night if they want him to. Then guard, he can guard the one-guard if they want him to, and then he has a jumper. I believe in his jumper. Some people don't, but I really do believe in his jumper and think he's going to be a really good player in this league and just would be that would be really the best case scenario to come out of this Bledsoe thing for sure to wind up with Neil Akina. I think even if this Bledsoe stuff wouldn't have happened, if we would have said, here is the proposal to get a Neil Akina offer done, would you do it? I think everyone would say yes. Oh, I definitely agree, yeah, because I think Neil Akina, he's he perfectly fits in the timeline. But I wanted to ask you, because Bledsoe with the veteran leadership, Jared Dudley made his debut, Tyson Chandler is also on this roster. Does this team need more veteran leadership? Is that... Is that involved at all in the process of negotiations to trade Bledsoe? Do they need any more veterans back? I I think they're in a really good spot right now with Triano because he seems to understand what the team needs. Like the whole rotation thing that we talked about earlier, I think that was specifically because it's such a young team. And I asked Dudley about it after practice today, and he said 
he just flat out admitted that like those guys aren't ready to play those other positions yet. Like these guys should be, we didn't mention, he didn't mention names. I didn't mention names, but he was basically inferring some of the young guys like Jackson probably Warren, I would assume. And then Chris and Bender for sure, probably coming up in my conversation too, that those guys aren't ready to move down a spot and play smaller and play the four and play the five or whatever. And I think that is where Triano is really going to help guide them along. I think, I do believe that Chandler and Dudley are here for the long haul. I think they'll be here till the end of next year. If the team doesn't trade them, I think they'll be fine with staying here. Um, but I don't really think they need any more veteran leadership. I think Chandler and Dudley is enough, and I think they look towards the Bledsoe deal, and I think they'll be getting a veteran in return in that deal either way as the, as the money filler, and they'll look at that player to also play that role. And for our final thoughts here on our Bledsoe discussion, do you, do you have a favor here? I mean, are we both in agreement here on Milwaukee as Brogdon the dream scenario? Um, I think, yeah, I, I think the dream scenario is something like Brooklyn or Nielakina. I think Brooklyn, I would go the Brooklyn pick, Nielakina, and uh, Brogdon in that order in terms of like the top three best case assets when you look at it in terms of this team would want Bledsoe, and we're not sure if they would give up that set at. Set, but that's like the asset that they could conceivably give up if the Suns were giving them enough back. Uh, so I would go Brooklyn, Nilakina, and Brogdon. But I'm I've been saying Milwaukee since uh, that tweet, or not Milwaukee. Sorry, I've been saying Denver since that tweet, and I I think Denver is the best fit. Yeah, I think it's definitely between Denver, Milwaukee, and New York for the final three. And I want to get two final thoughts on some. Two final thing, uh, two final thoughts here before I let you go. It, with Robert Sarver and that's the whole dynamic with letting Earl Watson go after three games, is McDonough at all in the hot seat with how this offseason goes? I mean, he just got an extension, but people are already talking about wanting to get rid of McDonough and stuff. But it doesn't really make much sense to all of me. But I want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, this is a different discussion before his extension, but I think his extension kind of locked up that he's going to be here for a while. Like, I don't, I. Uh, to fire a guy right after you sign him to an extension, no matter how bad the season goes, would be pretty foolish. This, The extension pretty much indicated that he's in this for the long haul, and Sarver said he has no choice but to be patient. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think if you look, look at next year's team, and if next year's team wins 25 games again, I think that's like three years in a row of winning less than 25 games or right on 25 games. That's when you start to look at McDonough really being in trouble. But I think he's fine. I think they had no choice but to fire Earl Watson with the way the team responded. The only reason that he was brought back, and I'm not saying this with like sources behind me or anything, this is just my belief, is that the only reason he was brought back is because the players wanted him back. And the players bringing him back, you bring that coach back to hope the players don't quit and they play hard for their coach. And you don't lose by 40-plus points in the NBA unless you quit at certain points in the game. And they did that twice. So that was all that, that needed to be seen in terms of Watson staying the course. So I really don't see any problem with him being let go. I don't really see any problem with Sarver being heavily involved. I think it was something that was clear to everyone that this team needed a change. And it looks like it's going to be for the better. I think we can confidently say that Watson wasn't close to figuring it out or anything. If he was close to figuring it out, the team would not have done what they did in those first three games. Yeah, I it was crazy from seeing up close how Triano was handling the lineups and how he was talking through the game. I mean, through the preseason and through the first three games, I noticed that maybe it was the same last year. I didn't follow the Suns as closely, but 
Watson really didn't re- wasn't really vocal at all on the sidelines at all, which was surprising to me. Uh, coaching one hundred and one, I mean, just for my opinion, but that surprised me. And also Triano keeping them disciplined, I think it's going to help them a lot. But I want to get your final thoughts on Josh Jackson, and he's really surprised me so far as far as his offense goes, shooting forty percent from the three point line. Do you think his offense is sustainable? I mean, so far he's looked very good, and really he's up just every, everything they said he was going to be. think it's sustainable uh just like efficiency wise i definitely don't think it's sustainable i think the main thing i was watching for with him is like driving and driving in straight lines not even driving in straight lines but just attacking the basket and finishing at the rim he's really good at he had a couple of really tough finishes in the sacramento game i tweeted out one of them um and i think the thing that for me is like driving to the lane and finishing providing for his teammates which we really haven't seen that much of yet and then just hitting open threes, and he's been hitting the open threes pretty well right now. Uh, I think that he has played well offensively, to be sh- uh, to agree with you for sure, but I still don't think that he has done anything necessarily to blow us away. Uh, I-, I think he's been fine. Um, defensively is where I worry, and I still worry. I just saw, of course, the first three games were a lot of different things and stuff, and he played differently in the fourth game just like everyone else did, but with his mentality and just the way that he operates on the floor is this energy guy who has a non-stop motor he watches the ball a lot and I I noticed his driving Garrett Temple is a good defender but he could not get by Garrett Temple a couple of times and that was something that I pointed out writing about him on draft night was that he's a guy that I'm just not a hundred percent sure that if you put him against the best of the best in the NBA I'm not saying Garrett Temple is the best of the best but I'm saying Garrett Temple is a good example of a above average wing defender i'm saying if you put him against an above average wing defender every night and have him try and guard guys who are bona fide legit small forward size guys the paul george Kawhi Leonard, lebron james is demar Derozan, those kinds of guys is he going to be able to guard those guys every night and do it well i just wasn't 100 percent sure i'm still saying that i'm like 70 or 80 percent sure but i just wasn't 100 percent sold like everyone else was and that to me I still haven't seen anything yet to disrupt that yet in terms of feeling worse about it or better about it. I'm still kind of the same, but uh, I think offensively it's just, we talked about his defense so much and just how hard he works and how he's just this dick on the court and everything that we didn't really get into the nitty gritty of like his offense and how developed his offensive game was at this point. I think that I said this in the preseason. I think that he has a decent chance of actually being like a 33, 34% shooter. And I think that's kind of where you look at where his offensive game is and look at his production from that standpoint. Uh, but I'm not sure. Where do you exactly stand? Are you you sound like you're pretty blown away by the way he looked early on. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty surprised. I thought Summer League might have been a mirage because how he was shooting, I was like, wow. I mean, he looked pretty good from the outside already and his mid-range. He was pretty getting, getting pretty comfortable finding his sweet spots. As he told me at practice last week, he's looked pretty pretty good from the corners. I think he's shooting over 50% from the corners right now, which is pretty good for me. But his shootings was really surprised to me as far as his translating from Kansas. So I think that's my biggest surprise is his perimeter game. But like you said, his defense, it was his biggest thing, but he hasn't really been able to show it so far. But maybe one with Triano getting in there, he'll be able to click a little bit more. But I think, honestly, if Jackson is able to be a two-way guy, it's it's a very good sign this early on for them for sure. Yeah, I think I think the the main thing with the whole defensive argument there, those of you that are mashing your keyboards to yell at me about this, um, 
I, I just meant that in terms of him being an absolute lockdown guy. That's what I mean by that. Like, he got the profile out of Kansas, and he's going to be this lockdown dude now, which just, like, I, I, I'm not 100% sure on that. I think he might just be a pretty good defender, which is still fine. Uh, but I, I think that's the main point that you brought up that's the most important thing of a, a discussion surrounding Jackson is that we're just talking about him being a two-way guy. And I think that offense, he's shown it. Defense, he's shown it. I think that's the main takeaway is that he looks like a legitimate two-way player. Looks like he can do enough on both ends, and that's pretty important. I want to see the rebounds. I tweeted about the rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals and stuff. That has to get up. Uh, that's slightly worrying after four games, but it's been four games and a small sample size. Uh, I'm more interested to talk about him 15, 20 games into the season when we have a full – when we can talk about, like you said, he hasn't really been tested defensively. We'll see 15, 20 games in when he is tested. Yeah, we're only four games in so far. We've seen a coach get fired. We've seen Josh Jackson empty a clip on a fan, and we've seen just a lot of a lot of drama in the national media with the Suns so far. So next next twenty games or so are going to be really interesting for, as far as development goes for his team and the overall overall how the season's going to project for the team as well. So I appreciate you coming off with me today, Ken. This is really fun, and I hope to have you on again soon. Anytime, my man. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17